All right, welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day. Our contributor, none other than actor, comedian, writer, business owner, extraordinaire, Ricky Smiley. Should be a fascinating breakdown. First story of the day, Don Lemon, Tucker Carlson, possibly a show together. I don't know, but they're texting each other according to a new report. Uh, let's put up the picture full mass here. I have an interesting story to tell you. Let me first start with the obvious. This would probably do very well as far as ratings. The challenge is everyone knows Tucker Carlson does not believe what he says. Don Lemon does, but Tucker Carlson does not, all right? So could a blossoming kinship forge in the fire of unceremonious dismissals on the same day be developing between Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon? Maybe. That's one of the big takeaways from Brian Stelter, let's put him up, who reports for Vanity Fair. Now remember, Brian is a former CNN host. So he reports for Vanity Fair now, and he has reported that the two men, in addition to retaining the same entertainment lawyer, have reportedly exchanged several text messages in the last few days. The content of those messages, not yet known. Let's keep his picture up. Brian was actually at the same party as Don Lemon on Friday night. I know this because I was there. Don Lemon walked in, the CNN CEO was in that building too. Don Lemon walked in like he was the CEO of CNN, okay? There were words exchanged with Brian Stelter, myself personally, uh, everyone who Don uh, talked with was in front of everybody in the crowd, all right? It was a party. So. All of a sudden, I get tagged on social media because of this, okay? Brian Stelter, with his roughly 800,000 followers, uh, took a picture of Don Lemon, myself, and one other person. We were actually engaged in conversation about the show. Don Lemon, by the way, says he loves this show, continue to do the good work, et cetera. Uh, we exchanged pleasantries. Uh, and Brian Stelter tweeted, lots of media parties, in D.C. tonight for the White House Correspondents' Dinner Weekend and lots of buzz about Don Lemon's appearance at the UTA party. So let's highlight some of these dynamics. On Fox News, Carlson intentionally mispronounces the name of Don Lemon. He calls him Limon, all right? He's been doing this for years. Sneered at uh, Lemon's comments about being a black man in America and labeled Don Lemon a guy who makes millions of dollars a year from presiding over a show that's failing. Just about two months ago, Carlson called Lemon dumb and kind of crazy. So let me just say this. I'm not antithetical to these gentlemen working out whatever type of show they choose to, if that's even on the table, all right? Uh, but I will say this. That needs to be the first thing we address on show one all this trash talking you have done over the years. I doubt Tucker Carlson wants to have that conversation. There's more, all right? Um, so uh, Don Lemon, interesting. So as uh, Stelter notes in his article, uh, in his report, Carlson and Lemon have bashed one another on the air. 
Carlson has intentionally mispronounced the name. And also, Lemon once called Carlson's claim that white supremacy is a hoax, one of the dumbest things he has ever heard. Wow. Okay, who saw that coming? Okay, who saw that coming? Now, there are shows that were at least moderately successful that dealt with push and pull. The entire show was based around debate rather than simply being an echo chamber. That's why I worked really hard to make sure I have opposing views in the bullpen because I think it's important for the conversation and for you. All right, we'll see what happens. Ricky Smiley, dear brother, you've been uh, a major famous Hollywood guy for a while, all right? Is this just buzz? Uh, because you know good and damn well, Brian got permission to write that article. He was given the wink and the nod. Is this something or just publicity? Uh, you know what, Dr. Rich, I, I actually, first of all, let me shout out Roy Wood Jr. That's from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, yeah. That's we come from the right same radio station. Uh, nice. Good job, by the way. But man, I would definitely put up the money to, to have that show because mm. you get Tucker Carlson uh, and Don Lemon on or whatever, I think you would kind of cool off a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric. Uh, Don Lemon uh, bases stuff off of facts uh, uh, or whatever, and so now I think I think it'll bring like a a balance, so so to speak. You know, uh, because if you get on there with Don Lemon, uh, uh, with Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, and they have a show together, I think Don Lemon could articulate uh, a lot of viewpoints that that us have from the civil rights movement and us from the left or whatever. And uh, Don Lemon will hold Tucker, count, uh, Tucker Carlson accountable to some of uh, his dismissiveness of some yeah. of the that uh, people like myself and yourself go through, you know, just being a black man. And, yeah. uh, and he's a part of the LGBT community or whatever. And I think it'll just kind of put a lot of fight, bring the fire down some, I believe. Yeah. Uh, okay. That could be. I, I've debated Tucker Carlson uh, multiple times. I think he is not a good faith uh, debater. I think he gaslights and typically doesn't believe what he says. Uh, but he can be entertaining, obviously, to those on the right in particular. We'll follow this, see if it develops into something. Okay. Now, if anyone says to you, racism no longer exists in America, I want you to see this, all right? There's a black child who is left stranded by herself. Everybody walks past her. And then they replace the black child with a white child. And everybody starts to take notice and they're concerned. Let me show you this first. Here it is. Okay. This is basically a real world experiment, okay? You see how everyone is just bypassing the stranded, lonely, by herself, black child? Hmm? You saw that? Now replace it with a white child. Okay, you see this? That's called concern, that's called care. That's called, I noticed, I'm aware, I wanna help. What do you think that comes from? 
Do you think the people that passed the black girl were saying, I'm racist and I want to be anti-black today? No, it's called innate bias, unconscious bias. And as I have said many times before, it does not matter if your bias is conscious or unconscious. The result is the same. You see, if that was a real scenario, who is the more likely victim to be snatched up by a predator in that situation? A little black girl, because no one was paying attention to her because we walk around with our bias intact because we fail to challenge it. We all have them. It's not an indictment on humanity. It's only an indictment when you refuse to see it. Our brain processes 11 million subconscious thoughts a day and only 40,000 conscious thoughts that come from that subconscious mind. If you do not check your bias, it will check you. Let me also take you to this, all right? Last year, here it is. One clip went viral last year. We reported on this. And then remember, so many other videos came forward. This was Sesame Place. These were Sesame Place characters. When the reality of bias is evident, when it is clearly presented, people will say, no, they just could not see through their costume. All types of excuses came out. Now for the recent experiment that you just saw, uh, the black girl was ignored. The white girl was cared for. People were concerned. What do you think the pushback is going to be? There's more. Let me put up some of the reaction. Uh, Maya Wiley, all right? President and CEO of the Leadership Conference tweeted this in response to the video. I once was this little girl separated from my dad and white adults would not help me. It was not, it was at night. It was dark. I was not safe. I told them I was lost. It was a black woman who helped get me home. This hurt so much to see today. Dr. Kish Kumi, Price former head of the Louisville Urban League, said this about the video. And if you're secretly thinking, well, the black girl looks older. That is the product of systemic racism in which black children are perceived as being older than they are. Let's reveal and heal. I mean, there have also been studios where studies have been done or lab social environments where studies have been done. Remember the Clark Doll study? That was back many, many years ago. What was that study about? Decades ago, some really smart sociologists said, let's put a black baby doll in front of a white baby doll 
and let the children say which one is good and which one is bad, which one is beautiful and which one is ugly, which one is well behaved, which one is misbehaved. Well, in that study done decades ago, black children said the black doll was bad, the black doll was ugly, etc. The negative attributes went to the black child, from the black child. And naturally, this was a result of what? Societal bias, racism, prejudice. Then you duplicate the study in a society that is supposed to be more diverse with parents who are more aware and intentionally try to shield from that kind of systemic racism. Here it is. There are lots of different colors for skin. I have questions for you about these pictures of different children. After I read the question, I want you to point to the picture that fits the story. Are children colorblind in America? Show me the smart child. Show me the mean child. Can you show me the dumb child? Show me the nice child. <laughs> is bias measurable even at an early age? Why is she the bad child? Because she's black, black. And why is he the ugly child? Because he, he looks like he's white. Why is he the dumb child? Because she has dark brown skin. Why is she the bad child? Because she makes fun of everybody else's skin color. How much do kids learn from what they see and hear from adults? Show me the child who has the skin color most adults like. And show me the child who has a skin color most adults don't like. These are questions that we, along with CNN's Soledad O'Brien and a team of psychologists hired by CNN, spent months investigating through tests, interviews with children and their parents. But they're questions that have been asked for decades. The first doll study ignited controversy in the 1940s, when psychologists Kenneth and Mamie Clark pioneered studies in the effects of segregation in schools by asking African-American kids to choose between black and white dolls. The so-called doll test found black kids overwhelmingly preferred white over black. Those results were at the center of the landmark 1954 Supreme Court case Brown versus the Board of Education that desegregated American schools. And remember, Brown versus Board of Education was about a doctrine known as separate but equal. And in the court, it was proven uh, they were separate but absolutely not equal. Um, Ricky, I know you know a lot about this history. You are authentically from the civil rights movement in spirit and in culture. What are your thoughts about this? Um, that, that, that literally brought tears to my eyes to, to know that children are growing up. And, and thinking that everything, um, you know, that, that looks like them uh, perceived to be bad. I just really appreciate my mother because I remember my, being proud to have a black baby doll. And I remember my mother uh, seeing my sister go to the store um, and and run into a black doll and, didn't, and did not want a doll that did not look like her. My mother did a really, really good job with all the pictures of Dr. King and Malcolm X. Uh, growing up in the projects like we did and making sure that we loved ourselves and, mm -hmm. and making sure that we was black and proud or whatever. So uh, that that's really sad um, uh, in, uh, he, to, for it to be 2023. And, and that's uh, an issue. Uh, yeah. That's sad. That's heartbreaking. That brought really that literally brought tears to my eyes. That's sad. 
And it's a reality faced by children all across America. And Ricky, you know this, it's not their fault. They're simply being a reflection of what they have learned from somebody. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Mickey C. the Silver Dragon says, why is it never mentioned that Don Bongino was fired from Faux mm, on April 15? Tucker is getting all the attention while they were both fired about the same time. Are they afraid to advertise that they, they let two pieces of ish go at once? I always wondered, was it coordinated? You just got to think, like, how in the hell, randomly, both go on the same day? It's just, anyway, no evidence exists that it was, but I'm just saying. Okay. Um, Juan Diablo Verde. Uh, it is a choice as an adult not to have morals, ethics, or to hold onto biases. That's right. That's right. You have to actively want to be better. That's correct. Okay. I have an update, all right? We reported on this from day one and, and said it's something absolutely wrong with this whole picture. Black male calls the police. He says, hey, there are white people chasing me. He then texts his mother. He says, mom, uh, my boss wants the, the guys who work for him to kill me. If something happens to me, just know what it is, all right? Young man is found dead. Head decapitated. Sheriff comes out immediately. Oh, no foul play. No foul play here. Uh, this had to be some kind of uh, animal uh, in the wild. We said on day one, hell to the null. There's something else going on here. Let's get it. Put up the picture of the young man. He should be alive. He's dead. He reached out to the right entities. He reached out to the police and to his mother. But because he put it on record, there may actually be justice somewhere in the future. Now we have a third set of remains found in Mississippi. Rashim Carter, 25 years of age when he was killed. He was found nearly decapitated after he told the police he was being chased by a group of white men in Taylorsville, Mississippi. He was reported missing on October 2nd, 2022. One day, one day, after the encounter of being chased by these white men. And his skeletal remains were found on November 2nd in a wooded area in Taylorsville. The family was initially told by the local sheriff that foul play was not suspected and that animals had destroyed his remains. Their attorney being Crump called Carter's death a Mississippi lynching. And I agree with Benjamin Crump. This was during a press conference in March. The third set of Carter's remains were found February 23rd, and the family was notified via email. Email. There's more. Here's what attorney Ben Crump said in a statement. The family of Rashim Carter, while still deep in grief, is being denied adequate information and closure from the Mississippi officials overseeing this case. From the beginning of this case, the family has been misled. At first, 
When the first of Rashim's remains were discovered with his head decapitated from his body, officials told the family that it was animals that killed Rashim. Then officials admitted that they believed he was murdered, end quote. Crump would condemn the authorities for how they've handled this. Let's put it up. Uh, now it is unacceptable that the family had to find out through an email that more of Rashim's remains were found and still they haven't been told any other information, been offered a meeting with officials or received his remains, he continued. They continue to be stonewalled at every turn. This family just wants to find out what happened to Rashim and say their goodbyes. They ask that the additional remains be returned to them so that they can lay him to rest. Let's talk about this questionable autopsy, all right? Because people will point to it. The Mississippi State Medical Examiner's Office completed a forensic anthropology examination. This happened on the 2nd of February. That's according to WJTV News. The press secretary for the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, Bailey Martin, said that the condition of Carter's remains prevents the cause of death from being reasonably determined, all right? Let's put up the Smith County Sheriff, Joel Houston. So Joel told NBC News, Carter's co-workers were ruled out as suspects because their phones pinged nearly 100 miles away at another job site where Carter was allegedly last seen alive on a landowner's game camera on October 2nd. The sheriff said that Carter's co-workers claimed that he had been moody and they weren't able to joke around with him. And the way they did, or, or the way they did in previous days, the sheriff says, no foul play here. His coworkers didn't do it. As a matter of fact, they said it was something wrong with the fella. He wasn't himself lately. What? The man who has remains scattered in three different places on the planet. The man that has his body ripped apart is criticized by the sheriff for having a bad mood. Yeah, I would be in a bad mood too if I knew my coworkers were trying to kill me as he said to his mother via text message. He sent it to his mother and said, mom, here's what may happen to me. That evidence is secured for the record now. And this whole idea about, well, the cell phone was 100 miles away. Well, how convenient. That means you've proven one thing, Sheriff, where the cell phone was located. That's all you've proven, nothing more. Why were you so quick to defend this? Why were you so quick to say, move on, nothing to investigate, this was an animal? If it was an animal, why is it that you can't conclusively determine based on forensics that it was an animal. Believe me, forensic scientists are well aware of how to track an animal killing on a human body. This is one of the most extreme cases and possibly one of the most extreme cover-ups right now in law enforcement. That is a great possibility, especially when you look at this evidence, okay?
So look at what has happened. The man said, I'm being chased. He calls the police, okay? Police do nothing. He dies. Police come out. They say, hey, this had to be a wild animal that did this to him with no evidence or investigation. But the mother has a text message that says, from the son, they're trying to kill me. And then on the day of, on the day of, you have to consider when he said this is going to happen to me, the co-worker that took him to work had been taking him to work every day. The co-worker decided not to take him to work that day because they had an argument. Ricky, what are your thoughts here? The United States is like a, a, a decayed tooth, but Mississippi is like the part of the mm. decay next to the nerve. Yeah. And uh, I'm so, I'm real mad about this. I can go on for days about this. I think the United States Justice Department need to be uh, uh, hovering over every single department in the state of Mississippi. Um, I think they killed him. Uh, one plus one equals two. I mean, just based on the circumstantial uh, uh, information that you and I have, I think we can probably almost uh, con- uh, uh, probably convict those co-workers or whatever if we had any eyes on that case. I think mm-hmm. it needs to be another autopsy uh, done. I think the FBI need to be involved. And I think we need to shake Mississippi up and turn it upside down. Mississippi, man, I hear stories like that coming out of Mississippi, uh, Georgia, and, and, and different parts of Florida and Alabama all the time, far too often. This right-wing racist, it, it, it's no different from the movie uh, Mississippi Burning when the yep. Fed had to, had to come and show up, uh, 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 you know, in order to try to stand, uh, stand up for, for poor black, for poor people. Yep. I'm, I'm just really, really disappointed. I'm hurt. My heart goes out to the Carter family or whatever, but I really hope the United States Justice Department get involved and take over this case and investigate it and convict those lowdown uh, 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 Ku Klux Klan members, mob. Uh, I, I, I even think the mob is no different from what it was in the 40s and the 50s. Mm. It's still going on at night. They don't. They just don't wear the hoods anymore. Mm-hmm. They wear the Make America Great Again hats and the Confederate flag hats and traded the hoods in for that. And sure. they're racist to the core. And I said, I said what I said, and I meant it. You are one hundred percent correct. This young man did not do all of this because he was unsure about his environment. He did it because he was pretty sure about his environment. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to go to the police because you fear your life, but he did. It takes a lot to tell your mom, I may die, but he did. That takes a lot. All right, we'll continue to follow that story, bring you updates as they come. Okay, you know what happens, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You are going to feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell an African-American man threatening my life. Do nothing but use and abuse. And take pictures of themselves and put on makeup for them. What? You mad. You mad, homegirl. You mad. Hey, what that bitch? Hey, what the? What the? You tripping? Don't shoot me like that. Grow up. 
What is she doing? 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 No, I walk by and I said, you guys have to take me back. Alright, take pictures of us. Take pictures of us. Indisputable does not condone violence. Uh, we do condone self-defense. That's exactly what you just saw in front of you. Uh, this Karen attacked uh, her target and the individuals she attacked decided to fight back. Uh, and I don't know how much additional commentary I'm going to provide on this because we have uh, a visiting professor who's going to break down what just happened. Here it is. All right, today we're going to talk about how we can find out and how much we can find out and what it takes to get there. So first we have to decide how much do we want to find out. So let's say in this case, I want to find out at a level of seven. Okay, so I find that level on my graph and I come horizontally to my gradient line. Where it intersects with my gradient line, I'm going to come straight down to where it intersects with my round line. That there is going to tell me, how much I have to around to find out what I need to find out. See, as you can see, the more you around, the more you're going to find out. And also, if you stay down here and you never around, you'll never find out. So I hope this lesson is helpful. Thank you. That man is doing the work of God. All right, put it up. All right, now, Karen, if you would have taken that guy's class, you wouldn't be on my show today. All right, Ricky, thoughts? <laughs> Dr. Richie, you wrong for this, man. No, I'm right. You wrong, man. <laughs> you wrong to, to put the uh, I didn't know it was a class on mess around and find out. Yeah. And then you on here talk, talking about we don't condone violence, but we condone self-defense. That's all that was, brother. Um. <laughs> uh, what, you know, I'm wondering, and I've said this before, Ricky, I'm like, all right, Karen, when a Karen engages in Karenicity, do they reverse engineer the decision? Meaning, what if you get your way? What, how do you envision this ending? You attack two individuals who are literally walking away from you, all right? right. What, what do you think would happen? Okay. Uh, apparently she didn't know, she felt a little entitled or whatever, and uh, the more these videos get out, a lot of Karen's gonna start having second thoughts before they second thoughts before yep. they put their hands on somebody there because that was that was a good old fashioned whipping from my neighborhood what I saw. Yeah, yeah, unfortunate. All right, um, let's put it up. This is one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Uh, Cop fatally shoots a young man, a father, holding his infant daughter. You heard me. In Seattle, a 24-year-old man, Sean Fur, was shot in the head, was shot in the head by police as he held his infant daughter. This actually happened in April of 2020. The reason why we know about it today is because of a new lawsuit that has been filed. So the young man, Sean, was holding his one-year-old daughter as he ran through a construction site near Rainier Playfield when he was shot in the head by Officer Noah Zek, 
of the Seattle Police Department SWAT team. This officer is a 15-year veteran of the police force. The police were responding to an assault on a child abduction. I'm going to give you some background to this and some context, okay? The video of the shooting shows the police chasing Fur as they order him to stop running. So the 24-year-old complies, but is immediately shot by the police. Did you hear what I just said? He complies but immediately is shot by the police. The lawsuit also noted that the baby falls to the ground after the officer and another officer approach the 24-year-old father. One officer instructs the other, pick up the one-year-old. A copy of the lawsuit obtained by Atlanta Black Star noted that Sean Furr obeyed the officer's instructions, was unarmed when he was shot. The lawsuit also noted that this young father had enough time to contemplate his death and the harsh reality that he would never see his father or daughter again after the police shot him. He later died at Harborview Medical Center. Let's put up Carmen Best. Carmen Best, now retired, who served as the chief of police of Seattle from 2018 to 2020, claimed that the infant's safety was the police officer's priority according to Como News. Now remember, the video clearly shows and other publications have clearly echoed that the young man was actually compliant and immediately shot and killed. There's more. The shooting was found to be justified by the Office of Police Accountability after the SPD was criticized for using excessive force. OPA determined that given the totality of the circumstances, and let me explain that. Let me explain what that means. Totality of the circumstances is when they basically say, all right, normally we would say this is wrong. Normally we would say this is illegal. But when we consider the totality of circumstances, let me tell you the circumstance they're considering. He's a black male. They would not have even tried this with a white male or white female carrying an infant, carrying a white infant who complied. If a white male or white female carrying an infant complied, they would be alive. You know why? Because they would not have wanted to risk the life of the infant. I know many will see this story as a black male, but keep in mind that baby could be dead too. You cannot present an argument to me that you were trying to protect the life of the infant when the father complied and you immediately killed him while at the same time putting that same infant in absolute danger to die. There's more. Let's put him up. This is your chief, all right? Our chief Adrian Diaz is the current head of the Seattle Police Department. At this point, the buck stops with him. We will continue to follow the story. Ricky, what are your thoughts about this, man? You, you know what's funny? Uh, the fact, even if they fire that police officer, he'll go to one county over and get hired. Mm. 
probably become the police chief. And it seems like people like like the man that killed Trayvon Martin, they get the they 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 go up the ladder in police. In uh, uh, this particular one that killed Trayvon Martin, uh, whatever his name is, George um, Zimmerman. Zimmerman, he end up going on a book tour, and he go to places like CPAC and right wing. Uh, uh, and, and it's almost like there's no accountability. They won't even change the laws. So yeah. uh, the police officer himself, the individual, could be held accountable or get sued. It seems like they're protected. And, and it seems like when it comes to black people, their first option is to shoot first. And and how can you tell me that you're trying to do what's in the best interest of a child, bringing a baby that close to bullets? Right. Exactly, brother. That part. That part. Yeah. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of comments. Let's get to it. Okay. Real interesting. All right. Uh, Sina Hagaboom. School is in session, doctor. You got me cracking up. Uh, no, the professor had you cracking up. I mean. It was funny. Uh, the line true says, how long will it take to show how the sheriff was complicit with the death of the young man? All right, well, they got the right people on the case, Benjamin Crump and others. Uh, Edward V, jail them, take their pensions, make them pay. Talking about the cop who fatally uh, shot the father who complied holding his own daughter. All right. All right. Uh, YouTube member V, thank you V. Uh, v says, Mr. Smiley, kind thoughts are still going your way. Keep the strength. That's right, absolutely. Progressive Boomer, thank you for being a member for five months. Uh, iron sharp as iron, thanks for keeping this old Boomer well honed. There you go. But you're not old, you're young, all right? Because it's about how you think. Janet Villalona. Remember for 10 months, thank you for that indisputable level. Love being here, Dr. Richard, because the truth is always indisputable. There you go. All right, thank you so much for being here with us and your support. Stephanie Hayes, thank you, Stephanie. Some lessons with a black eye and uh, missing hair. Some lessons come with a black eye and missing hair. That's, that's actually very accurate. Uh, and let's do this one. Love, okay. Love 18 white girl. All right, how can the infant save to be a priority when the cops are shooting? Exactly. How do you make that case? You cannot make that case successfully to anybody that has common sense, okay? All right, uh, and by the way, it's against their policy to put a civilian in danger to apprehend someone. That's why they said, in the totality of circumstances, because it literally violated their own policy, okay? All right, very sad story. What if I told you that a student, a child, let's put him up, was bullied, was bullied, School did nothing about it. The school has now admitted they messed up. He's bullied and he takes his own life because the school, the school chose to ignore it. Keep the picture up. The Lawrenceville School, which is a prestigious New Jersey boarding school, is finally admitting they did not do enough to protect this teenager in their custody and care named Jack Reed. Jack was 17 years of age. A student 
who took his own life on the campus after false and vicious rumors spread on that campus that he was a predator. Okay, sounds familiar? Hmm? Same rhetoric that conservatives are pushing around this country. Now it's contextualized inside of a school and a young man ended his life. Reed arrived at the boarding school in the fall of 2020 as a sophomore, befriending classmates and winding up honored on the dean's list. He was doing well. But the following spring semester, a rumor that he was a predator began spreading like wildfire through the student body. Despite the rumor, Reed returned to the school in September 2021 and was elected president of the residential housing where he lived. But the teen's new role only increased the rumors and bullying his parents believe. Why? Because he's now in a leadership position, okay? Reed, 17-year-old child, was continually harassed by students in person and by anonymous postings online, causing the unvetted rumor to spread outside of the school grounds. That's according to the outlet. A classmate previously disciplined for bullying Reed and determined to be involved in spreading the lies, the rumors about him. Well, that student was eventually expelled for an unrelated incident, the school revealed. In a statement as part of the settlement agreement, Lawrenceville declared that his students' physical, social, and emotional health, safety, and well-being are their top priority. The school, which is among the highest ranking and most sought after boarding schools in the, in the country, seeks to improve as a community. We have examined our role and take responsibility for what we could have done differently. We recognize that in Jack's case, we failed tragically short. The statement read, put up the headmaster. Okay. Stephen Murray is the head of the Lawrenceville School where the tuition cost $76,000. It is located just five miles south of Princeton. Before his death, Reed had approached school officials to intervene about the false rumors, prompting an investigation into the bullying and sexual assault. The school found, according to them, no evidence supporting the rumors and allegations about Reed being a predator, a fact that the boarding school did not acknowledge in public or in private, according to the outlet. They could have defended him, they did not. Though the facility was aware of the ongoing bullying, this elite boarding school has only now admitted failure one year to the day after Reed's death. Neither Reed nor his parents were informed that the school had cleared the teen of the, of the claims before his death. We feel like we both have life sentences without the possibility of parole, Elizabeth Reed told the New York Times. In the heartbreaking admission, the school believes Reed's death could have been avoided if the situation had been adequately addressed, saying there also were circumstances in which the involvement of an adult would have made a difference. Look at that. So while the school gets to pay a bunch of money, come out with an apology. Put him up, put him up, he's dead. This kid could have been a remarkable leader in whatever industry he chose to be in. But this school decided to care more about its 
fragile reputation. If this comes out, I mean, we may have a decline in interest for our prestigious institution. We know these are lies about him, but we're not going to say anything. We're not going to clear him. We're not going to be responsible adults and it led to the death of that young man because of rumors that were allowed to spread. I want to say this. A wise man told me a story one time about what we say, what we repeat when we decide to viciously harm another person. Told me the story about a priest who lived in a community, small community. It was a big warehouse where everybody worked and everybody wanted promotion at this warehouse. There were two neighbors. One neighbor wanted a promotion. The other neighbor wanted that same promotion. So what happened? Well, one of them decided to spread a vicious rumor about the other. And he put this rumor out because he wanted that promotion and he did not want his neighbor to get it. So he lied on his neighbor. He knew he had a small town. He knew people would believe him. He has decent credibility. So he lies on his neighbor. So much so, the man does get what he wanted. He gets his promotion, but his neighbor gets fired. His neighbor then loses his house, family, children, wife, homeless. So now the man who got what he wanted by spreading lies goes to the priest. He says, I want to change what I did. What can I do? I didn't want this to happen to my neighbor. I just wanted a promotion. The priest says, here's what you do. Get a sack of feathers and put it in a pillowcase and put a feather outside of the doorstep of everyone you told this lie to. Well, naturally, the man said, this is an insane remedy, but he's desperate and he chooses to do it. And he does it all night. He gets feathers. He puts it in a pillowcase, puts it on every doorstep. That night, he goes to the priest. He says, priest, I did exactly what you said. Will everything be restored? The priest said, you got one more thing to do. Take this same pillowcase. And I need you to go and pick up every feather that you put out last night and just put it back in. The man says, priest, I can't do that because you see, as I slept, the wind blew the feathers all over the town, even outside of it. There's no way for me to put these feathers back. And the priest says, so it is with your words. Young man should be alive. Ricky thoughts. You're absolutely right. It should be a price to pay for just being low down. Uh, that That is just absolutely uh, sad. Uh, the school should be held liable. The school board should be uh, held uh, liable. And then they need to start <clears throat> leashing out harsher punishment to kids and parents who bully, especially if it costs another child their life. That's right. Uh, needs to be accountability. Parents need to sit down and have a conversation with their kids about bullying. And, and I'm talking about juvenile. Yep. You know, juvenile. Because if somebody take their life because they're being bullied and they're too embarrassed to go to school and life becomes uh, too much for them because of how they're being treated. Uh, and, and if you can prove, prove it with tweets, emails, Instagram, whatever, that you're a part of that, 
it should be some accountability in pay, in place and people should um, be punished for their action because hell, what's the difference between that and them shooting somebody? What's the difference? That's right. That's right. The result is the same. The Absolutely. life is gone. All right. Okay. What if I told you a mayor ends up homeless in his own town and his city would not help him put up the picture? That's exactly what happened to Craig Corner, the former mayor of Bend, Oregon. You see, Craig was elected mayor in 1981 during a recession which gutted the timber industry, leaving many homeless by the railroad tracks. So this mayor worked with Mr. Martin to raise funds for them, at times going out to the railroad to distribute donated clothes personally and 19 cent cheeseburgers picked up from the local Arctic Circle. His connections helped people find cheap places to live at a time when rooms could be rented for as little as $75 a month. The turning point began with gentrification and the mayor was focused on improving his community, no longer fit the city's agenda. They wanted a different crop of people. The timber mills were shutting down, but the old mill district began evolving into what today is a ritzy shopping district. You have a spa, you have designer jewelry stores. Some people were wary of such swift change. And in 1992, the former mayor was ousted from the city council by rivals seeking to rein in growth. So the former mayor returned to work as a defense lawyer to fight for the less fortunate until his own life began to spiral. The underlying problem was an emerging bipolar disorder. This mayor said compounded because he had turned to drinking as a way to cope. It's called self-medication. On the day after Thanksgiving in 2003, a few years after losing his job, this former mayor was arrested, accused of damaging a woman's car and resisting a police officer. The state bar suspended his license in response to complaints that he was neglecting duties to his clients. Then in 2008 came the worst blow of all. His wife, Patty, died after an illness. There's more. This former mayor had his father die that same month, yet he persisted. Even then, this former mayor was welcoming to people who had lost their housing. He said, stay at my house. It was a very small house, but he told them, I got room for you. Or, or you can stay in the yard if you want to. Some days he would go down to the Bend Community Center, which served daily meals to the needy, arriving early to help set up coffee or staying late to wash the dishes, but without a job. He was falling behind on his mortgage and the bank began foreclosure proceedings in 2012. He was evicted from his home. Mr. Cordner found himself camping sometimes in a tent along the parkway, the mayor of the city, the former elected mayor, was on the road he helped build to prepare Bend for growth city leaders had anticipated, the irony of it. Other times he set up on the property of a group that served homeless veterans, an organization where he was once a board member. He's now hoping to get a meal. The conditions, however, ended up proving too much to bear. Frostbite, frostbite had damaged the former mayor of this town, had damaged his toe so badly that he had to go back to the hospital at the end of January for an amputation. 
that's real frostbite. There were complications. After the surgery, he had a stroke that left him unable to speak. His daughter came, family is now responsive. She sat for hours telling him about her life and introducing him to her husband. You see, they were estranged. The mayor's daughter, Miss Emick, held his hand and bowed her head. Mr. Courtner reached over and touched her head. She wondered how the city her father loved had missed so many opportunities to help him. If he had been a dog, she said, somebody would have rescued him a long time ago. He died February 14th, 2023. A man that literally advocated for the least of these becomes homeless in his own city. And because of all the massive growth in policy and direction, we don't have time for you, Mr. Mayor. The city's moved on. See, the mayor wanted Hart to be at the center of policy. Did he make some mistakes? Of course he did, we all do. But the man had a good heart. And I wanted to highlight this story because it's important to note, sometimes you have to come against false narratives because truth would get missing inside of them. Ricky, what are your thoughts here? You know, uh, uh, I serve uh, serve the Salvation Army uh, like once a month. I went there, I just recently went to the Salvation Army. And uh, even when my son passed away, uh, before I went to the funeral home to take my son's clothes, uh, I went down there to serve because I needed to see other people that was going through stuff that's a uh, situation that was worse than mine and look in the face of people that's suffering that need a meal. And I'm telling you, man, I have always had uh, compassion and love and respect for the homeless. But one thing about it, I don't care how rich you get or how good you think that you're doing. Uh, you know where you've been, but you don't know where you're going. And we have to be careful and mindful as to how we treat people that's because right. Um, you don't know who hands you're going to fall in and you don't know who's going to have to give you a, a, a wipe you clean or hand you a glass of water. And I, I just say that people get so caught up with money that compassion is lost. We live in a heartless society and greed and selfishness and, and everything is about them. And yeah. Jesus Christ always talk about the least of these. Here's somebody that served. Uh, and I was so committed to his community that he gave his life for it. That's absolutely a sad, that's really sad. And yeah. I, I hate to hear that. Yeah, and I wanna say this, man, you and I share uh, a heart, a real heart uh, for the so-called least of these, right? And I, I want to highlight something, man. First time I went over your house, Ricky, uh, there's a guy, <laughs> a pastor who didn't really, didn't have a church, but you met him at the store. And you invited him over to your house for dinner. I thought you all knew each other for decades. Yeah. That's just how you are, brother. And that's why we have to echo that heart to others. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have another one, another video. We gotta get to the bottom of it. Here it is. Missy, hold this. Uh, come on, oh, get down, sir. He's, just get down, guy. What? Tase him or something. Just get down. Just get down. 
people watching are shocked because they are human. Okay? Let's put it up. Let's put up this picture. I want you to see clearly. Okay? A cop was caught doing this to an unarmed black man with a baton, a Southern California cop to be exact. Was caught on video beating an unarmed black man with a baton during an arrest, echoing the infamous Rodney King beating. The way he utilized that baton was very, very reminiscent of that moment in history. Barstow PD, they say 43-year-old Gary Christian instigated the incident by refusing arrest, but the witness who captured the video, captured the whole thing, says it was much more of a case of excessive force. All right, let's put her up. Uh, Melissa Navarrete was sitting at a nearby restaurant with a friend when she saw through the window an officer using a baton on Barstow Street. She immediately pulled out a phone and hit record, something I recommend everyone do. She says she saw the officer swing his baton, hitting Christian in the leg. After he went down, she says the officer swung three more times while Christian was on the ground. But in the moments before that, she says, we'd see in the middle of the street a cop with a baton holding it like a bat swinging at this guy. The guy had his hands up and he's moving backward like he's not trying to fight the cop. He's not trying to resist anything. He's just moving and the cop is just swinging and swinging against policy, by the way. And a statement of Fox 11, which contradicts the witness accounts. Uh, PD says Christian refused to comply with an officer's orders and physically assaulted the officer. The officer immediately deployed his taser, which was ineffective. Christian then physically assaulted the officer a second time, causing the officer to deploy his baton. The officer struck Christian with his baton while attempting to arrest him. I don't believe that what I saw, he wasn't resisting, she says. She added, she and her friend never saw a taser being used at all. Police say Christian was taken to a local hospital where he was treated for minor contusions and abrasions to his leg. I don't even believe the police when they say that, all right? Uh, the PD say they are conducting what they call a comprehensive administrative investigation to see if the force used by the police officer was within policy and current law. They already concluded that it was, and the people that concluded that it was are now investigating to see if it wasn't. Does that make sense to you? There's more. After being checked out by the hospital, police say Christian was booked in the detention center for resisting arrest and an outstanding felony warrant for a probation violation. Um, totally different stories coming from the witnesses and the police. And then we have a video that's completely contrary to what the police are saying. What are your thoughts here, Ricky? I was just sitting here thinking about the uh, whole uh, Rodney King. You remember how big it was uh, back when Rodney King's yes. uh, happened? And now that's the new normal. Mm. And 
we're lucky if he only got beat with a baton because now when you start thinking about uh, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Trayvon Martin, or whatever, these police have gotten bold and have taken it to another level and they're killing unarmed blacks or whatever. And uh, I, I, it, it's, it's the same thing over and over, but it will not change until there's some accountability yep. with police officers. Uh, instead of uh, being punished, they get raised or get hired uh, in one county over uh, uh, to become the sheriff for killing or beating or abusing or mistreating. Uh, mm. There's no accountability. So yep. we're going we're gonna to be talking about this until they change some laws, and it's unfortunate. Or we, or we elect DAs who enforce all of the laws equally. Absolutely. Including on the police. All right. Dear brother, always a pleasure having you and your great commentary on this program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Hey, make sure you check me out on Ricky Smiley Official and come celebrate my birthday weekend with me in Daytona Beach, August the 11th through the 13th. I'm sure you'll be there, Dr. Richard. I'm there, brother. I'm there the day before and the day after. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> Thank you, brother. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, my friend. All right, we got more. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back. Pastor and councilman. Brian E. Hawkins. This is going to be quite fascinating because he has an interesting journey, but he also has some interesting insight into corruption, partisanship, and BS. All right, uh, Pastor, good day. Thank you for being back on the program, sir. How are you? Thank you, and I appreciate you for having me on here, and I'm excited to be back. Absolutely. All right, I want to get into one dynamic first, okay? Um, you're a councilman with San Jacinto City Council, and you all were, or you were uh, in a very viral moment. Uh, and these moments have a way of defining you uh, or defining a person, but that's not the summary. You have a lot of nuance. One thing I learned, I didn't know you used to be a Republican and turned independent, obviously left-leaning progressive thoughts, independent thinking, that's good stuff. Uh, but tell me about that journey. Then I want to get into some of the corruption that you've been able to discover um, as you have journeyed in the leadership of politics. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I've always told myself that I was a Frederick Douglass Republican. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, you know, even when you go to my website, you'll see that there's a picture of me right in front of Frederick Douglass. Um, you know, when I ran for Congress, I ran under the Republican ticket. Um, but the platform that I stood on, prison reform, you know, reparations, it's a lot of different conversation I want to talk about, education, safety in our, our community, uh, housing inequality. And I realized that that wasn't much more of a favorable conversation within the Republican Party. Uh, after the election, I took a trip uh, to two weeks down to Atlanta. Um, I've never been to Atlanta before in my entire life, never been to Georgia. I drove through there, but being from California, going to Atlanta, seeing the black excellence that I saw, seeing billboards of black doctors and seeing black business owners, you know, I had a chance to meet with Pinky Cole of a slutty vegan. So I Good was a friend of mine. 
I was in Atlanta enjoying myself. And that time period, it was like a great awakening for me. Uh, I remember sitting at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church and uh, right in front of the where Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, the great Coretta Scott are laid to rest. And it was Thanksgiving night and I laid there, sat there all night just listening to his voice and, you know, tears just ran down. I said, there's no way I can go back to California. This was during the Herschel Walker Warnock runoff. And I came to a conclusion, I couldn't be the West Coast Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I came back to California, I had some meetings with some of the Republicans here. I was asked to be the chairman of the Republican Party of Riverside County. And, you know, I turned it down because there were certain conversations that I couldn't talk about, certain topics that they didn't want me to focus on. And so I unregistered from the Republican Party. And, and, um, and that was a, that was that was it for that that part. What did they do to you? And I'm asking it that way specifically because I know how they operate. <clears throat> I know how politics operates uh, generally, but I also know how it operates when there's a very specific reason they would like to connect their agenda to you. But you push back with an agenda that was still very authentic to Black progress even though contextualized inside of a conservative movement. The problem with the conservative movement is that it is becoming less and less friendly to minority thought. So you're now in this uh, situation where really for you to have space councilmen, you have to be in some ways more extreme than even white conservatives in order to be special to them. So tell us about that dynamic. What happened to you after you told them uh, basically to kiss your ass? What happened? <laughs> so it, it wasn't so much of, um, you know, what was said. It was when I got back from Atlanta, uh, I had a meeting uh, that was really impactful because I was offered, you know, a, a good position uh, to run a think tank and also to, to decide if I want to be the chairman. And uh, they brought up an interview um, when I was on OAN a um, few months right before the election. And I talked about reparations during that interview, and that was a that was a tough pill for them to swallow. And I was literally told that, you know, call it something else. You know, don't call it reparations. You know, you know, that's not something that's going to go over well with a lot of the donors. And um, I was told not to be so strong on some of the black issues. And and so I just felt like right then that I, I knew that I didn't want to be the William O'Neill in history. I didn't want to be mm. the person responsible for black movement getting assassinated. You know, it's so interesting. They said to you, don't be so strong on black issues. And you know what came to my mind as soon as you said that? I don't think anyone went to Marjorie Taylor Greene and said, don't be so strong on white issues. I don't think anyone went to Trump and said, don't be so strong on white issues, right? Uh, but you are a black male and they want you to adopt a narrative that's antithetical to the community you come from. Now, let me ask you this, dear brother. There are black Republicans who have accepted that role. They were not as authentic as you. They were not as genuine as you. I'm sure you know some of those black Republicans. Come on now. I know probably two or three black Republicans, but those two or three black Republicans that I know in Georgia, they know 100% of every other black Republican in the whole state, okay? What is your message to them about adopting these narratives that are now so extreme, you don't have room in the party to push a black agenda anymore? You know, when I when I think about when I was in Georgia, and it's interesting that you brought that up, 
I remember the night that I was in the room at the Chick-fil-A uh, Hall of Fame Center, and uh, it was the Herschel Walker victory party. And I remember reading one of the stickers, and the sticker, the slogan was, run, Herschel, run. Yep. My mind, mm. I... I felt like a translation and, and, I, and I, you know, but it felt like it said run inward run. And that's what I thought. And, you know, and I sat back and I was looking at a lot of the, the few blacks that were in that room. And I said, you know, the compromise to be in this space. And I was looking at some of the black workers that were working there. And obviously I can tell that they were in favor of seeing Warnock win and looking at the disappointment in their face it was really discouraging and so you know when i think about the surface of what we're focused on and the issues that what we're ignoring is more detrimental to black progress to not have a full alignment of blacks coming together because i feel like we're we're, we're losing our position if we don't continue to really put black issues on the table, you know, with the George Floyd Act that should have been passed, the yes. John Lewis Act that should have been passed, you know, yes. you know, to see the video that you just talked about a few minutes ago with the officer with the baton, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we were not supposed to speak of these issues in depth. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, everybody got access. But it's another thing to ignore how we really got here and who's really controlling the access that you have. And so I would ask that question, do we really have access that we're trying to convince individuals that we do have? That is so well said. Councilman Hawkins, let me pose a question to you about uh, the Democratic Party. Because to be frank, the Democratic Party, they will play those games too. They will tell you not to push too much of the black agenda. I've had a Democratic lawmakers come on my show uh, and literally say right before the interview, hey, are, are you going to ask a question about reparations? Uh, hell yeah, I'm going to ask now. <laughs> now I'm definitely going to ask you, right? So uh, you got to gotta disconnect in both. But there is more room in one than the other. Let's be frank. Let's be 100 about it. Uh, what has the what has the corruption level been like inside of the Republican movements uh, or even with elected officials? Because, man, they're making legislation based on bias and racism uh, and it's spreading across the country. What has been your, I guess, view of that inside of politics? Well, I think the biggest thing that probably bothers me the most and given the fact that I'm a pastor is hiding a lot behind Christianity. Mm. Uh, I'm seeing that um, that evangelicals within the party is pushing more of a strong racist narrative uh, than we've probably seen since the 60s. Uh, we're dealing with it right here uh, in Riverside County uh, in Temecula and even just Marietta. Uh, they banned some books um, about a few weeks ago in the Marietta Valley Unified School District. Uh, and one of the topics, the books they, you know, they approved a book, the chapter Birth of a Nation and the Rise of the Republican Party, but they banned the books that focus on, you know, true history, you know, dealing with minorities and African-Americans in the community. And so that's the part that's the most frustrating of anything. You know, it's really interesting you brought that up because during the civil rights movement, you did not see Christian evangelical churches marching with Dr. King. Uh, as a unit or an organization, they were not supportive of the civil rights movement. They thought the civil rights movement uh, was destructive 
They said it was harming America. Dr. King's approval rating at the time he was living was 6%, according to NBC News at that time. And then you have the Christian evangelicals, not helpful, but you have some white liberals, atheists, many of them, some of them, they were, because they saw this as a great human uh, pro uh, progress that needed to happen. So now you fast forward, brother, you're a Republican, you're a black Republican, you're a leader, you're a pastor, uh, you're able to hold your own as it relates to policy, which is becoming less and less uh, of a reality for both political spectrums. But policy has really taken a back seat, brother. This is about tribalism now. Am I wrong on that? No, absolutely. You're not, you're not wrong. And that's why you're not seeing really good, healthy policies being passed within the Republican Party. You know, um, as a good friend of mine, uh, Mitch, would always, when we would do these dialogues on uh, Instagram, he would ask me, you know, give me one good policies that the Republican Party has introduced. And that found me having to really look deep within myself. You know, sometimes yep. you have to be honest and say these policies aren't good. Um, I know that a lot of my um, Republican partners have voted against the infrastructure bill, but here in my city, I know how much that infrastructure bill has helped in so many ways. When it comes down to roads, we created more jobs. You know, we were able to repair our wells in our city. I mean, there was so many things that came from it. I mean, we're about to realign our highway from that infrastructure bill uh, that we just created a cross-city partnership. And so a lot of times we're so big on trying to sabotage the other party that the people at the bottom are suffering the most. How would you define corruption? If I just say define corruption for me, how would you define that? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I just got through binge watching Snowfall and <laughs> I watched that, you know, I never cried at the end of a mm. season. I grew up in that, you know, I grew mm. up in wow. California. I watched the crack uh, epidemic, you know, I spent 10 years in prison. And so I seen, you know, how the community was decimated. You know, I have uncles that were on drugs, family members that spent time behind bars. So I seen how the corruption of the government attacking the community. And I remember texting my mother after the show that said, you know, there's never really been real aid to help the minority community. There's been a war on poverty. There's been a war on you know, drug. But the reality of it is, it's always been a war on Black people in America. And so when you talk about corruption, I look at that war, you know, Hispanics, there's been a war. Asians, there's been a war. It seems like every marginalized group, every minority group has been somehow put into a box, divided and put against each other. And I'm saying that more now than anything. And uh, it's just sad to when I look at the outcome and then to tell someone, hey, you know, you have access, just, just deal with it. All right. Thank you, dear brother.